You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. As I said, I'm here with my wife, Karen, just a little bit about us. Uh, I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, My wife grew up in Los Angeles, and we met in high school in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Go figure all that out. Uh, But God brought all that together. Um, We've been married now 37 years, 38 in next month. We have two married children, uh, Luke and Emily, um, and with their families, uh, they are just as sweet as can be. And we've got uh, six grandchildren. That includes one who is still, as I guess they say, in the oven. Um, And uh, so we've got five grandchildren, three boys, two girls, and uh, um, one on the way. It's just a sweet deal being a grandparent. It's a bizarre thing to be this old. (laughs) Bizarre that I'm even saying that. Um, As I mentioned, I was in business for 20 years, and uh, then I've been in vocational ministry now 20 years. In March of this coming year, we'll be 15 years at Radiant. We were a church plant as well, started in a theater, were there for six, seven years, and now in a facility there. And actually this March, I'll be uh, early retiring out of that, just a whole uh, lot of really good circumstances to pass the baton off. Uh, here coming up in March and excited about that. And I kind of tell you a little bit about our story because all of our stories are unique. Unique, And I genuinely, I wish we could sit around and, and hear your stories of how God has done a work in your life and brought and the various things and stories that you have in your life. But one of the things I've come to learn, particularly when I visit places, is that although all of our stories are unique, I come from a different place, still from the heart of America and grateful for this country, uh, by the way, on this weekend. Uh, but we're out, wherever we live, whether it's Kansas City, whether it's Indianapolis, Indiana, whenever we've lived, whether it's here in 2022 or whether it's back in the time uh, walking as one of the disciples with Jesus, uh, one thing is always the same, and that is that life looks a lot like the image that you see on the screen. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you're young, if you're old. You know crazy hard times of life. They all hit all of us. It's a common reality that takes place, and it doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor, if you're educated or uneducated, if you're a businessman, if you're a woman, or if you're a tradesman, if you're a pastor, if you're a homemaker, if you're one of the original 12 disciples, it doesn't matter. You know this, don't you? Okay, at our church, we're good with having a little feedback, all right? We all know this, don't we? Yeah. Absolutely we do. And we know what that is and what that's like. And yet life comes and it has those times where it just all of a sudden swoops up, grabs you completely unexpected, not knowing that anything was coming. And yet it takes you. And part of the question out of all that is, this, so how do you respond to that? How do you respond to life when life feels out of control? When all of a sudden life comes and sweeps your legs up from under you and puts you back, and what do you do? What does it look like to respond biblically in those kinds of situations? Well, I want to take you to literally one of my favorite texts of the Bible that talks about an exact situation that happened to the disciples that put them on their faith back. And um, if you would, would you please turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Uh, if you're using one of the Bibles behind the seats there, I believe it's page 839. I took a peek here while we were singing. 
I admit. And uh, looked at that. So page 839. The Gospel of Mark, I call it the Indiana Jones Gospel of the Bible. It uh, is action, action, action. You go to the other Gospels and a lot, there's a lot more teaching. There's a lot more instruction. It's what Jesus says. You come to the Gospel of Mark and actually doesn't say a whole lot about what Jesus said comparatively. It's just like boom, 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 movement, movement, movement. It is written so that Roman people could understand, by the way, who are very similar to our culture, very similar to our culture, and we think that you are cool by what you do. And in many ways, I think the Gospel of Mark is telling us, you got to look at this dude who did this stuff because he's going to blow your mind with what he did. And so it's this action gospel, uh, setting the context. We're going to be at the end of chapter four. The beginning of chapter four, the first main part of it is the parable of the sower. You may be familiar with this. You may not. I'll just summarize it real quickly. Verses one through 34, Jesus gives a lecture. He gives a teaching. He instructs. It tells us there's a very large crowd there in verse 1 of chapter 4. And by the way, that doesn't mean that there were 12 people or, or a large group of 48 people. There were probably hundreds of people there, a very large crowd of people that Jesus is teaching in this event. And he teaches these various parables as he goes through. I'm going to concentrate on the first parable that I'll just summarize here. It's the parable of the four soils. How many soils? Four. Awesome. There are four soils. The first soil I call the hard heart. It's the hard path. The gospel, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ, falls on the hard path, ding, ding, ding. It comes, it's swooped away. It's kind of like the person who says, uh, no thanks, I'm just not my thing. Good for you, not my thing. And Jesus is saying, this is how people will respond to the gospel. This is one of the ways that people will come and they'll just be a hard heart. What do you do with, for hard-hearted people? You love them and you pray for them. And the first soil is a hard heart. Second soil is, is the rocky ground. I would call it the shallow heart. It's the person who hears the gospel. I would kind of communicate it this way. They give Jesus a big high five, and high five and they're like, yeah, man, Jesus, you're awesome. But then it says trouble and persecution on account of the word comes along. And they're like, I'm out. I don't think Jesus is saying this is carnal Christianity. I actually think that Jesus is talking about someone who made a, a declaration, but there really is no real there. That in this, it just falls and it, it, it kind of seems for a little bit and boom, it's gone. By the way, keep that in mind, the second, the second soil. It falls, it gives Jesus a high five, and because of persecution and trials, because of the Lord come along, in other words, oh, you're a Christian while well, you lose your job. Oh, that's what you're going to do. You're out. And they then quit out of that. Remember that for what's coming, okay? Then he comes to uh, the third soil. It's the crowded heart. Uh, it's the thorny ground. It's similar to soil number two. It's kind of they hear the gospel. Jesus says essentially out of the parable. And then he gives, they give Jesus a high five. And, and then all of a sudden, it's like all the stuff of the world draws them. Oh, the world's so awesome. It's so beautiful. You know, money and things and popularity. Yeah, it's just awesome. I'm just, I want that. And Jesus is kind of like in the back. And Jesus is like, I am not in on that. I'm not interested in that at all. And we have the crowded heart. We have the hard heart. We have the shallow heart. We have the crowded heart. And Jesus is moving it all to the fourth soil. The fourth soil is the fruitful heart. And here's the gospel, receives it. And by the way, in this illustration, we are dirt. 
<laughs> that makes you feel good, doesn't it? And the seed, the gospel falls in the dirt and it goes in and the forest soil, all of the nutrients and everything in the soil goes into the seed and is putting into the seed and it sprouts and it produces. And by the way, it's not about the dirt. When do you ever go by a tree and go, look at that dirt? That is some awesome dirt to be able to produce that tree. No, no, no. You see, it's all about what has grown out of the dirt, and the fruit is provided out of that. And Jesus makes this comment. He says, it's those who produce 30, 60, 100 fold. By the way, it's not about who produces more. I'm just going to tell you, having been a layperson for 20 years, sat in your seat for 20 years, well, more than that as a kid, all that time, and then being in uh, vocational ministry and doing uh, this for the last 20 years, I'm just going to tell you there's a thing even in vocational ministry where the head gets poofed out and you got to watch it. It's not about who produces more. It's about producing fruit. That's the point. And that's what Jesus is saying. Something comes out of that. It's an amazing lecture given by Jesus. And as you could tell, I could just spend the time there, but that's not the focus of our, of our time today. I would term it this way. Jesus is giving a lecture about what it looks like to live by faith. It doesn't look like this. It doesn't look like this. It doesn't look like this. It looks like this. That's the summary of the lecture. So I remember back in high school and college, what follows lectures? Uh, laboratories. Remember biology, chemistry, uh, physics? You know, you'd take the class and then you'd have a laboratory with that. What was the purpose of the laboratory? The purpose of the laboratory is because the school, like uh, in high school, and then I, went to, I was at the University of Minnesota, and, and uh, at that time and in that, it's like the purpose of the laboratory is to take the knowledge of the information that has been put before you, to take that and experience that out and have it in your own hands so that you can learn it, you can see it, because the objective of teaching physics, teaching chemistry, teaching biology in this kind of a structure is not just to be able to fill out the piece of paper on the test, but it's to be able to do physics. It's to be able to do chemistry. It's to be able to do biology. That's why they have the laboratory. Otherwise, it would just be teaching information. Laboratories matter. In fact, I would suggest laboratories are the game changers of life. Laboratories are the game changers of life. And they just had a lecture of which the disciples afterwards came to Jesus and said, uh, hey, we're not understanding what you just said. Could you explain it some more? By the way, that gives me so much hope, doesn't it? You know, at times you're like, I don't know, man. I don't know. Can you help me learn more? Yeah. Well, we're going to go to the lab. I'm, we're going to go to the laboratory. And buckle up. Lord, I pray in this time as we dive into the rest of this text that you would just be here. Maybe there are some people right now who are in tornado events of their life. Maybe there are some people who have just come out of them. And maybe there are the others of us who are, we don't even know one's yet coming. I just pray you would be here. And our eyes would be on you. And you would draw us. Help us to understand what it looks like to live by faith. In Christ's name, amen. So we just went to the lecture. We're going to the laboratory. We're in verse 35 of chapter 4. We're on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's 
It's called the Sea of Galilee. It's more like a big lake. You can actually see to the other side of it. Uh, We've been there, and if you have, you know what I'm talking about. Jesus has been teaching this large crowd about faith, uh, and all of a sudden, a big event is about to be unleashed. A big event is about to be unleashed. In fact, I would say when you follow the movement of Jesus with the disciples, I think this is the first big turning event where all of a sudden the disciples start getting a little bit of a sense on who Jesus is. So buckle up. It's narrative. I love narrative. 70% of the Bible is narrative. I'm a very visual guy. I don't know if you can tell already. I'm just kind of like, let's like do life. Let's be real. Let's cut the baloney. Let's get at it. Let's go. Let's be vibrant. Let's get at it. And I'm going to tell you it's narrative. And if you read narrative and turn it into didactic, or you turn it into like just like a teaching outline thing, you've missed narrative. Jesus wrote it so that the text will be alive for us. We should have an experience in it. So I've already said it probably two times so far. I'm just say buckle up because I'm going to get animated. Here we go, Kansas. Here we go. Indiana moves it out. Verse 35. Let's just work our way through these few verses of this text. On that day. That's interesting that it would say that. That's the kind of thing you read and you just go, just keep on reading. No, wait. Why would Mark want us to know on that day? Because Everything connects. I'm telling you, words matter. This is a connecting phrase. On the very same day that all this teaching, as well as some other parables, took place, Mark wants to know, on on that day, on the day after the teaching, on that day, not another day, this isn't another story, this is in one single period day of time, all of a sudden this happens. It's on that day. It's the day where there were large crowds. It's the day where Jesus was all of a sudden alone with the disciples explaining how, what all these things meant. It's now evening. On that day when evening had come. You already got the picture. It's evening. It's been a long ministry day. On that day when evening coming, he, Jesus, said to them, let's go across to the other side. Nothing crazy about that. Hey guys, we're on this side. Let's go over to the other side. I just want to make sure and note something here. They hadn't done anything wrong. Jesus isn't like, okay, kids, it's time for a timeout. It's time for a discipline moment. Nothing like that here. They haven't done anything wrong. They haven't stepped out of bounds. They haven't made a mistake. They're not about to get punished. It's just a normal day. It's just a normal request. And Jesus said, hey, let's go where? To the other side. Okay. Okay. Let's go to the other side. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go to the other side. And leaving the crowd, interesting, we still get this idea, there's still a crowd hanging around all day. Friends, people wanted to be around Jesus. Jesus is an attractive personality in humanity of it, the second person of the Trinity, boots on the ground, God in the flesh, and yet he is attractive to humanity. People wanted to be around him. That should be a testimony in our lives as well, by the way. And the crowd is there. They begin leaving. And so they take him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. 
So Jesus says, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. And they're like, okay, let's go to the other side. And so they get these boats. They, they, they get the gang together. They get in, in the boat. And all of a sudden, they comes along. And they're on the Sea of Galilee. And, and uh, I don't know, are they a quarter of the way? Are they a third of the way? Are they halfway of the way? Three quarters? It doesn't matter. All of a sudden, a great storm starts arising. We get this idea. By the way, in the form of the Greek language, it gives us this idea that it's not like, a, you know, those storms and you sit out on your porch and you're just like, if you have a porch and you sit out on your porch and you're just like, I love this. You know, that calming sound or in your camper or whatever's going on. It's not this. And the word that Mark uses makes sure that we know. In our meteorological, I don't know if I said that right, that's a long word. In our world, we call that a squall. It's a line. It's that when you see the the coordinates, it's like this red, uh, thin line that just moves across, and it just unleashes uh, our storm. Uh, By the way, in in the time of that on the Sea of Galilee, squalls are not an uncommon thing to have happen. So this wasn't the type of thing that's uh, out of the norm. Oh, by the way, if I remember correctly, weren't some of the disciples fishermen on that very sea? Yeah, yeah I, th- I think that's what I remember right. And, and so uh, these are guys who are familiar with this place, and, and, and they've seen squall storms before. Uh, they just happened to be out on the water, um, and, and Jesus had asked them to go. It's a serious storm. And then verse uh, 38, uh, a great storm, 37, arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Okay. Um, when a boat is filling with water, I'm not a boat guy, but I used to do engineering stuff, and I know enough to know that the water should stay on the outside, if I understand how the physics works on it, right? And, and like if the inside begins filling with water, that's not supposed to be a good thing. Water stays out, so you stay up. It's a squall storm, but it's a kind of storm that's not like, whoa, whoa. This is one where panic is happening. Water is coming in. It's filling the boat. Do you see it in the text? It's filling the boat. That's a bad sign. It's filling the boat, and then we have this crazy contrast. Jesus is asleep in the back. I'm just going to tell you, uh, uh, we, we have three services on our Sundays, and I'm telling you, on Sunday afternoons, I am just like in the fetal position, out. Just ministry dead dog tired. And um, you know that as well. You know those times where whether it's a small group or whether it's just even like with children's ministry, or, or I know, like after student, like camp, oh, adults, Bless your heart for pouring into those students. And I mean that seriously. Thank you. But you are dead dog tired after that. And here Jesus is asleep in the boat. By the way, it's the text. It's the word of God. I don't think that he's, Jesus is back there like in a, a blanket's over him and he's peeking out with an eye and he's kind of playing with everyone. I take the text as it says. He was asleep. And as all this is going, you have to be really tired to be asleep while all this is happening. And yet that's the case. And you just have to see this contrast of what's going on. <laughs> right? 
You've got to understand the contrast. And here we go now. By the way, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. James 4, why are there fights and quarrels among you? Is it not because of the war that wars within you? Friends, the battle is not out here. The battle is here. This is in our culture. This is the heart. This is the thinking. This is the control center. We just did a series on growing and changing in Christ over the last months. And this is where it happens. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is where it happens. Out here stuff happens, but the real war is right here. Here we go. But he was in the stern, sleep on the cush. <laughs> sleep on the cushion. And they woke, and they said to him, Teacher, we're having a blast. No. By the way, I just want to know, so they call him teacher, it's a rabbi. True. But let me make this comment. Biblically, Jesus Christ was the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh, more than a teacher, more than a rabbi. Oh, by the way, Colossians chapter 1, it is Jesus Christ who is the one who was the, out of the Godhead, who was the one who created all things. Teacher, no, they need to up their ante in understanding who's asleep. And teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? By the way, I doubt it was said like that. Well, let me... Uh, hey, guys, let's go to the other side. Okay, let's go to the other side. Let's get in. Row, 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 however that goes. Whoa, storm's coming. Storm's coming. Whoa. Okay, buckle up, everybody. Boat's going up. All of a sudden, it's filling with water. They're getting soaked all the way to the bone. All of a sudden, they're panicking in this. And then they turn, and they see Jesus asleep in the boat. I got to tell you, if I was in the boat, I would be ticked, too. Like, come on, man. Do you not understand we're going to drown? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Oh. They have for completely forgotten. No, I don't who they are talking to. I would rephrase that. They don't understand who they are talking to yet. And by the way, before I or we get too hard on them, how often have you and I said, thought the exact same thing? Yeah, I don't know what things you've gone through in life. You've gone through some heavies. I don't even know you. We've gone through some heavies. 
Maybe you've lost a child. Maybe you've lost a spouse. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe people who thought you thought loved you have completely deserted you. Hey, this is real. The reality is, is how many times have we, let's just be straight in our own hearts. I'm not talking about the person next to you, I'm talking to you and me. How many times in our own hearts do we stand here in life and go, do you really care? I mean, are you even aware of what's going on? Because it sure doesn't feel like it. I mean, just look at our world. It's just going nuts. People are mad all the time, it seems. And I'm concerned Christians are looking similar. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They're saying that to the one who's going to go to the cross for them. Oh, he cares. Life's hard. Life is really hard. We live in a broken world. And we think that this should be heaven. And friends, this is not heaven. Sorry. Sorry to break your bubble. But it's time to wake up. And it's time to be real. It's time to understand. We live in a broken world and we are all broken people. By the way, if you're on an airplane, and if the pilot of the airplane gets on and says, hello, everybody, um, we're about to die, <laughs> what would you be thinking? Listen, here's one of the interesting things. I bring that because some of the disciples are professional fishermen, and they are in on this. We're going to die. Uh, when's the time to panic? when the professionals are panicking. And so if the pilot comes on the airplane and says, everybody, we're about to die, time to panic. Okay? And that's what's happening. So I got to say, I bring that up because I understand exactly what's going on here. I would probably be doing the exact same thing, especially I'm not a guy who loves the water that much, like a whole, whole thing out on the middle of the ocean. No, we weren't created to be there, friends. (laughs) And yet in this... Um, well, let's see what Jesus does now in all of our holy panic. Verse 39, and he awoke. I mean, you've got to read this like it's like we're watching this movie. And he awoke. Oh, um, what's he going to do? 
I mean, really, what's he going to do here? He awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was not just a calm, a great calm. Oh, my. How cool is this? The words is, as Jesus gets up, and he says, Siopa, pefimoso. And you had to scream it like that because it's storming and everyone's going crazy, right? And he's not talking to the guys. He's talking to the wind and the sea. Who does that? You may say, a crazy person? Hey, if you're on your backyard and you're going, I wish it would rain. I get it. I get it. Your grass is way greener here, by the way, in our home. I mean, way greener. And, and yet it's like, right, but no one thinks you have the real ability to do that, right? This one does. This one gets up and he speaks with all seriousness to the wind. Siopa! Pefimoso! By the way, those words, siopa, it means peace, silent, quiet, wind, wind, zip it. And he speaks to the water, be muzzled. You know, it's like an attack dog. That's what's happening. Friends, seriously, don't lose this. We just read past this and we just think nothing of it. And yet he's speaking to the wind and the sea. Who does that? Oh, and by the way, it calmed, it muzzled, it obeyed his words. Verse 40, Jesus turns his head to the disciples. That's where I'm like, I'm hiding. <laughs> what, what's going to come out of his mouth at us? I mean, is it going to be like that? Indiana, this dates me, but Indiana Jones and burns everyone up. He turns this up. That's the moment. All attention is on what in the world is about to happen. And verse 40, and he says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? What did he just lecture about in the morning? Four ways on what happens when the word is put before. In John chapter 1, the word is in the boat. Question. Who brought the storms? Well, could have been Satan. Could have. I mean, what a strategic move to try and put the disciples at the bottom of the, of the sea. What a strategic move to try and put uh, Jesus at the bottom of the sea. By the way, Job chapter 1, Satan brought fire from heaven and calamitous wind to kill with Job and his, his family. Could have been. 
Could it have been God the Father? Hmm. Job 38, God says that he tilts the water skins of the heavens. Could have done that because he's trying to grow them. Listen, God's objective is not to pamper us. God's objective is not to make our life simple. Coming to Christ is not a call to easy and simple and wonderful and always, you know, fuzzy bunnies and, 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 and Twinkies. Do they still make Twinkies? You know, uh, amen. <laughs> it's to mature us, it's to grow us, and, and, and the Lord allows things to come our way. Oh, by the way, even at Job chapter 1, even if it was Satan, God is, Satan is still God's, under God's control. Oh, now there we got a theological conversation, but you better have it because Satan is not allowed to do anything outside of God's control. Oh, Doug, I don't like that. Oh, well, get ready for it. So I'll just say this, it could have been either of them. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter ultimately. Because we know ultimately God has allowed this to take place. And God is going to do something good out of this in their lives. And they've just had a lecture about what it looks like to live by faith. And one of those was that uh, those who are, hear Jesus and they give him a, you know, a big shout. And, and then persecution comes along for, 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 uh, because of the word. That's them in the boat. By the way, uh, seriously, uh, uh, what would have been so wrong if they would have drowned and died? Is that really that bad? If you're redeemed in Christ, seriously. I don't want to go through the couple minutes of drowning. But if I understand scripture right, if you've been redeemed by Christ, if you come to a place and time in your life where you understand that you are a sinner separated from a holy God because of sin, and you're in need of a Savior to redeem you back to your Savior, if you have received Christ as your Savior and been redeemed, been declared a child of God, and the moment that you pass away from here, at that very moment, you are with the Lord, and frankly, that sounds awesome to me. And yet, I'll tell you, in this, it has this thing about us. Oh, death is the worst possible thing that could ever happen for the redeemed person in Christ. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. I've already asked the Lord to take me in the middle of the night. I just don't want any of the pain stuff. <laughs> I mean, who wants that? But, but yet in it, oh, friends, God's people, we're, we are sometimes losing sight. We are allowing what happened out here to control our lives. Why are you so afraid you still have, you still no faith? That's the issue. That is the issue going on in this whole uh, scenario that's taking place out on the Sea of Galilee. I believe that God has allowed this event to happen for that issue to be drilled into the disciples as a result of the lecture earlier in the day. It doesn't mean we don't get scared. It doesn't mean we have the emotion of fear. Oh, we're not robots in Christ. But faith is to trump fear. Every time you say that nowadays, it gives you a weird sound to it, doesn't it? <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. And they were filled with great fear. They were afraid of the storm.
Now they have a holy fear of the one in the boat. You see what's gone on here? There's been a whole transformation of understanding, of dealing with a life scenario. It's not about the wind and the sea anymore. It's about the, oh my word, who is this? Oh, in fact, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That is the right question. Can you see them all? By the way, that just tells you that their understanding of Jesus in this moment versus 30 minutes ago has just transformed. Jesus is far bigger now than he was 30 minutes ago. And that's a home run. Quickly, some application. So how could, how should the disciples have responded when life hit hard like this? Well, Jesus put his finger on the problem. They were living in fear, not in faith. Again, it's not saying don't have the emotions of fear. But faith supersedes my fear. Does it? By the way, all of that happens right up in here. In the war of the mind. Fear clicks in when I disconnect God from my circumstances. Fear clicks in when I disconnect God from my circumstances. There is no God in the circumstances. Uh, fear distorts my view of life as itself. Like, well, this isn't fair. This shouldn't be happening. Life is supposed to be in my control. See, now we're getting to the issue. But life is not in our hands. And yet how we work for life to be in each of our control. And it's not. It's not until moments like this where we begin to realize life isn't in our control. Maybe you have a health thing that's popped up and you've had no control over that. Fear distorts our view of life. Fear distorts our view of God. God, this isn't fair. God, this is not loving. Friends, there are some questions I cannot answer. Like the whole Uvalde thing. I can't answer that. but I know the one who ultimately can. And I'm going to leave it in his hands. Even though I can't understand it, can't put my arms around it, that's okay. Because life is not in my control. And I'm sorry to say this, but it's not in your control either. And oh, how you and I have an idolatry for control. Faith clicks in when I connect God to my circumstances. It literally is the action. Faith is this, is, is this 
action on our part, our participation in bringing God into it. It sees Jesus as the Lord of our circumstances. Wait a second, he knows about this. He's even allowed this to take place. He is doing something through it, and I may never know what it is. It may not be for my good, if you will. It may be for others' good. By the way, Romans 8, 28, and 29, he does all things together for good. By the way, the combination of all things, I don't even think it necessarily means that every individual little item turns out to be lovely and good. It's the combination of all of it works for the good of it. You can go to the Old Testament, Habakkuk 3 at the very end of the text there. You can see it there. Faith clicks in when we connect God into our circumstances. And faith sees the Lord Jesus as the Lord of them. And it sees the words of Jesus as sufficient and trustworthy. By the way, look at chapter 5, verse 1. What happened? Where did they end up? You tell me. Other side. Where did Jesus say they were going? Oh, by the way, and this is not some regular dude, rabbi, teacher guy. This is the one who created all things, and when he says something, buckle up. It's going to happen. And, and, and that moves me uh, to these quick four items. When life feels out of control by faith, I do four things. I cling to the person of Christ. I cling to the person of Christ. Listen, how big is your view of Jesus? I cling to the person of Christ. And the bigger your view of Jesus is, the more you're going to cling. I also, I cling to the purposes of Christ. The disciples who could say saw Jesus asleep at the wheel. I would say they really didn't have a mature understanding of Christ. I don't think they had a mature theological understanding of Christ. And yet we understand that. Friends, the purposes of Christ is not to make our life calm and cozy. The purpose of Christ in our lives is to mature us into Christ-likeness. And if you're in this ride for Jesus to solve all your problems in such a way that it makes all of life calm and comfortable and wonderful, I'm going to lovingly say you don't understand the gospel. cling to the purposes of Christ. Third, I cling to the words of Christ. What the word of God says in my situation. Spend more time. James 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. The Lord uses life to grow us and mature us. Lastly, I cling to the people of Christ. Let me finish with this. Guys, I'm tired of teaching. It's been a full day, hasn't it? Yeah, that's somewhere in the text. It's in the Greek, somewhere in there. Yeah, let's go to the other side, okay? In the boat, row, row, row. Oh, whoa, storm's coming, storm's a button down the hatches, button down the, <laughs> unleashes, 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 leashes out on him. We're gonna die, we're gonna die, we're gonna die. And he's in the back of the boat asleep. Oh, ticks me off. Teacher, do you not care that we're going to drown? Wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. <laughs> Let's reverse it. What if 
What if just one of the guys in the boat would have had a high enough view of Jesus and what he has to say that just one of them would have remembered, wait a second, this is Jesus, this is the creator of all things. They were going to be learning this as time goes along, but at this point, that what, but what if they had the creator of all things, he's going to work all things to, for his glory, for our good in all of this. And listen, he said we're going to the other side, guys. And if he said we're going to the other side, guys, everybody buckle down, we're going to the other side, let's ride it out. Woo! Just one of them. But when God's people get stuck in fear altogether, it's a mess. Fear clicks in when I disconnect God from my circumstances. Faith clicks in when I connect God to my circumstances. 